Hello, everyone, and welcome to Chapter Brothers. My name is Nick Ackerman. And my name is Kevin Ackerman. <laughs> All right. And today we're going to continue on uh, with season two of Chapter Brothers. Um, we're going into the drawing of the three. Very exciting. Exactly. Very exciting. I've been really yeah. psyched to uh, read this with you, Kevin. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, we definitely a uh, little peek behind the curtain for the listeners that we always record these a little bit in advance. And uh, this time we had a little bit of a break between uh, book one and book two. And uh, apropos of the first, uh, well, the prologue, I should say, the... I actually started reading uh, my my first section on the beach, and uh, thankfully uh, it went a lot more smoothly than it did for Roland. But uh, the I was <laughs> a trying great to place to of, read uh, this first section. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I was trying to record a little bit of, you know, uh, background audio. I was hoping I'd be able to hear some, like, you know, waves crashing and seagulls and things like that. But uh, I was not on that kind of a beach. I was actually sitting on Asbury Park Beach in New Jersey, uh, which is uh, pretty close to where I live. Uh, Well, I mean, close enough, same state. But yeah, the uh, when I played it back... um, the audio that you usually like tune out as you're sitting on the beach and relaxing uh, the, I, is the only thing that I could hear. And it was just lots of uh, children running around, lots of people talking, people setting up beach chairs. And so was I my plan to have you know an ambient audio bed uh, under this recording didn't quite uh, pan out. But, you know, it was a, a fun, fun idea. <laughs> Maybe you should have gone out. Uh- yeah, if you'd gone around like sunrise or something when there was no people around, that would have been the time. <laughs> True, yeah, or maybe like late at well, night. Well, and I think that's where we actually pick up. Very true. It is uh, sunrise, <laughs> I believe. All right. Yeah, so let's do a quick recap. All right. Um, season one, of course, was all about the gunslinger, mm-hmm. and uh, it was a fantastic book, and we had a lot of time, uh, a lot of fun uh, recording and comparing the uh, 2003 edition to the 1982 edition of um, the gunslinger. And I think at this point now, it's there, there's only one edition, right, Kev? We, there's no more comparisons. It's Correct. Just, I, the book is what it I is. I bought the I bought the Kindle edition. Yeah, I bought the Kindle edition just to be sure, and I read through the entire argument and the first few pages of the prologue. And for uh, as far as I can tell, the timelines have synced back up. So now we are in back in the you know the only basically both versions are the same so uh now we no longer are going to have our old uh, cool. friends uh, green yellow and <laughs> blue and orange changes so oh no yellow yeah. orange blue and yeah yeah it's no green yeah, yeah yellow orange blue blue and green changes but no changes anymore this is the book is Indeed. what it is and um it is what oh, it is. i mean so, so the argument. Well, before we even get to the argument, I had a question about if we really want to fully do this book. Uh, the dedication in the beginning. Did you see that? Oh, okay. I, I, so I, I didn't know the, who this person was. I should have researched it. It says to Don Grant, who's taken a chance on these novels one by one. So, so who's, the, who's Don Grant? The, Don Grant is the publisher. Uh, uh, the if you look at if you look back at ah. your. Uh, I'm not sure which edition of Drawing of the Three you're working with, but I'm pretty sure the version of the Dark of uh, the Gunslinger that you had, uh, the illustrated version, that may have been a Don Grant uh, publication. Oh, nice. Yeah, I've got a very similar version right here. So I think we're working actually off of the same. So it's uh, Plume. Plume is. Yeah. yeah, mine is actually a sick but we do bigger, have the same cover. I don't know. It's, it's true. You got the the one and a half uh, size. I've just got the trade paperback. Mine's mine's been through through some time. So <laughs> mine's a little bigger. Yeah, yours is a little bigger. Mine's a little bit more. more do, do you have illustrations in yours? Uh, let's see. I don't. <laughs> do, do you have so. illustrations? No, no, definitely no. Uh, oh, I do. Like color illustrations. Ooh, nice. You got those again. Yeah. So um, it's illustrated by Phil Hale this time. Phil Hale. And uh, I can't wait to post our illustrations as we <laughs> get through each section that we do. Um, it's also cool to see um, also by Stephen King. And he's got uh, 
at this point he goes Carrie Salem's Lot The Shining The Stand and then uh, well some other ones that I'm going to get to in our Stephen King trivia at some point Um, and then it also has the Richard Bachman books and collections non-fiction and screenplays yeah, eighty-seven Maximum was definitely. Was Stephen uh, King? I didn't know that. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he, he. I think he wrote and directed that as well. And yeah, not not his best movie, I would say. Yeah. So, nineteen eighty-seven. This is um, almost the year of Kevin. Yeah, the year of Kevin ex- was eighty-six. Yeah, it was published so in May of eighty-seven, and so that is one year after I was born. So, this is uh, very young, Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> One-year-old Kevin. He was very cute. Very cute. <laughs> you yes. still are, buddy. Uh, <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah. All right. So, so the um, the, f- <laughs> the first thing we get into is the arguments. Um. <clears throat> so I'm, I'm just going to start reading. Uh, I'll do like the first two paragraphs. Uh, The Drawing of the Three is the second volume of a long tale called The Dark Tower, a tale inspired by, and to some degree dependent upon, Robert Browning's narrative poem, Child Roland to the Dark Tower Came, which in its turn owes a debt to King Lear. Well, actually, let's stop right there. Exactly. <laughs> because we were talking about Child Roland to the Dark Tower came in, in the uh, afterward of the one. Uh, why does that owe a debt to King Lear? So That's a Shakespeare Lear, play, right? Uh, there is, at one point, uh, King Lear, Act 3, uh, King Lear himself is basically just speaking gibberish. So there is a line in which it says... Uh, in an old Scottish ballad, a son of King Arthur, his sister, Bird Ellen, is carried away by the fairies to the castle of the King of Elfland. Aided by the instructions of Merlin, Child Roland makes his way into the castle and rescues his sister. Child Roland to the Dark Tower came. His word was still, fee fi fo and fum, I, spell, I smell the blood of an Englishman. Uh, Shakespeare, King Lear, Act 3, Scene 4. So, yeah, according to here... Wait, so that came before uh, the Jack and the Beanstalk? I don't think so. I think he's quoting Jack and the Beanstalk in... uh, Now i got to pull up King Lear, actually. (laughs) See, I don't know much about King Lear. Uh, Me neither. So, King Lear, Act 3, Scene 4... Julius Caesar, Antony Cleopatra, Cymbeline, Titus Andronicus. Did you just pull King Lear off of your your, your Shakespeare uh, compendium? I got my yeah, to... the complete works of William Shakespeare that I got go. from the, uh, the Papa Macrobin, actually. Uh, let's see. King Lear. Oh, nice. So it's Act 3. We now mentioned both grandfathers on the... Uh, <laughs> we have, yes. So, Papa Brellinger gave you his his copy of The Gunslinger, and Papa Ackerman gave you Shakespeare. Exactly. Cool. <laughs> okay, wow, I found it already. Okay, so, essentially, in King Lear, there's a character named Edgar who is sort of speaking more or less gibberish, and he says, Child Roland to the Dark Tower came... His word was still five foe and fun. I smell, smell the blood of an Englishman, and he exits. And it so it's basically just kind of nonsense. And I feel like Robert Browning would have been <laughs> basically just sort of his imagination was captured by that line, as I've said uh, a couple of times before. Uh, by that line, yeah, the child rolling to the dark tower. Well, cave. it seems that. Uh, yeah, so uh, and Stephen King was also inspired by that line, uh, also. So that that's what he's by saying the there. It's like, yeah, exactly. originally it was a Robert Browning poem. King, then King Lear mentioned it, and he's like, you know what? I want to talk more about Child Roland, <laughs> which we talked about. Child isn't like a, a, a child; it's a, a knight, right? A knight, exactly. Yeah. So mm-hmm. in that case, um, huh. yeah. So, so anyway. Yeah, precisely. So I feel like this is very much. We'll we'll get to this later, but I have I have some you know 
St- uh, Stephen King verse uh, theories about this uh, for the future. But just sort of put a pin in that for now. That's basically just the phrase "child rolling to the dark tower in. cave" goes goes beyond uh, Robert Browning, goes to Shakespeare, and Shakespeare just put it in as the ravings of a madman. So, <laughs> well, it sounds like kind of. A timeless line that, and we're in a timeless tale right now. So it's like this line came out with Robert Browning, with Shakespeare, and now with Stephen King. And it's like um, we're at a time nexus, you know? Yep. So that's what I know about the Dark Tower right now. So <clears throat> anyway, uh, the first volume, The Gunslinger, tells how Roland, the last gunslinger, of a world which has moved on, finally catches up with the man in black, a sorcerer he has chased for a very long time. Just how long, we do not yet know. The man in black turns out to be a fellow named Walter, who falsely claimed the friendship of Roland's father in those days before the world moved on. Uh, Roland's goal is not this half-human creature, but the Dark Tower. The man in black, and more specifically what the man in black knows, is his first step on his road to that mysterious place. Um, So yeah, that's pretty much the gunslinger in a nutshell right there. (laughs) The man in black fled across the desert, and the the gunslinger followed. And eventually caught up to him. (laughs) He did eventually catch up to him. Um... So then, um, it's it, this is basically just a recap of you know our whole first season. <laughs> Who exactly is Roland? What was his world like before it moved on? What is the tower, and why does he pursue it? We have only fragmentary answers. Roland is a gunslinger, a king. Uh, I'm sorry, a kind of knight, one of those charged with holding a world Roland remembers as being filled with love and light, as it is, to keep it from moving on. So. I remember when we were um, talking about this, um, the world has moved on. I kept thinking to myself, what does that mean? Um, And to me, it was like some sort of dystopia, like um, there's been a nuclear explosion or something. And and but I don't know. I'm I'm changing my mind (laughs) now. I don't know what it all means. Exactly. Yeah, the context that Stephen King is saying it in this sentence seems a little bit different than we used it in the previous book. Like, the way that he talked about the world has moved on, things are different, like, it all in The Gunslinger, it made it seem as though, yeah, there was this uh, apocalyptic event, and now everything is kind of just sort of, you know, civilization has basically died, and now we're just sort of left with the scraps that's left over. But... The way that he says it here, um, what does it say? Uh, He is charged with holding a world that he remembers as it is to keep it from moving on. It almost seems like basically when people say the world has moved on, it's almost as though they're saying the world has died. So Roland, his responsibility is almost to keep it from continuing to die, I guess, or dying in a, you know, irrevocable way. Yeah, it's almost like uh, I don't want to get political right away, but like conservative versus liberal kind of like Interesting. the, the, the world has moved on. Meaning, like the, the world has like changed in a way, and I want it to be the way it used to be when I was a gunslinger. You know. Hmm. <laughs> See, um, I took it in a different know. direction That's... from that. Yeah, I I thought it was more like literal. The world is dying. And we're just sort of the last people who are kind of left. Yeah. But I can see... I think Roland is is stuck in the in the past, stuck in his ways, kind of deal. You know, in in some ways, I suppose that's true. He was uh, raised to uphold this tradition of gunslingers. He's got his guns that he oils, and I mean, they're the guns of his fathers. So therefore, they it must be also the guns of his father's father. So who knows how old Roland's guns actually are? That you know, he's been oiling and maintaining them. That maybe these are potentially ancient weapons for all we know so true it is true mm-hmm. that uh, Roland like, is like passing down with, a sword or something you know precisely yeah yeah he's charged with upholding yeah. this tradition of gunslingers yeah so yeah to some degree definitely he is kind of living in the past I would say yeah which is a great Jethro Tull song sorry very true yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Kevin, do, do you want to keep going you. Uh, yeah sure I'll do the next one 
All right. We know that Roland was forced to an early trial of manhood after discovering that his mother had become the mistress of Martin, a much greater sorcerer than Walter, who, unknown to Martin's father, is Martin's ally. We know Martin has planned Roland's discovery, expecting Roland to to fail and to be sent west. We know Roland triumphs in his test. What else do we have? The gunslinger's world. David is my weapon. Exactly. (laughs) Goes with David. uh, He takes down Court and, you know, uh, basically, like, basically, uh, I think he bites off uh, one of Court's ears and one of his eyes. Like, it's a whole thing. Uh, David went wild on yeah. court. Uh, uh, <laughs> Cuthbert says, uh, exactly. Cuthbert says, uh, you didn't leave enough uh, flesh left for us to pick off the bone. <laughs> so, so okay. Uh, wait, just just yeah, go, go going back, though. Going back real quick. Um, uh, Martin is a far better sorcerer than Walter is. That that was news to me as I was reading this. I was like, oh, I, so like Walter was like his underling, and then Walter kills Martin. I don't know <laughs> what happens to Martin. <laughs> See, I guess we'll find out. I think out. this is one of those times where I think this is one of those times where Stephen King kind of changed his mind. Uh, like I th- I'm pretty sure at the end of the 2003 version. Uh, he says that Martin and Walter are the same person, more or less. And that after Martin gets cast out of Gilead, Walter just sort of appears and uh, Roland says, oh, I guess you're the same person then. Uh, or am I wrong? Uh, okay. I, I thought that was what I remember. Well, well that's what he said in, and he was like, wait a minute, you're not Martin, you're Walter, or, or something like... Yeah, after that was like the big reveal in that last chapter that he he wasn't Martin at all. That we're, that's what we we're thinking he was, but he was Walter O'Dim, right? Uh, yeah, Walter O'Dim no? is definitely his name. So I'm going to read the part here. Uh, da, 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 da. So Martin had gone west to join the rebels. So all said anyway, and so you believed. Yet he and a certain witch left you a trap, and you fell into it. Good boy. And although Martin was long gone by then, there was a man who sometimes made you think of him, was there not? A man who affected the dress of a monk mm. and the shaven head of a penitent. Walter. The gunslinger whispered. And although he had come so far in his musings, the bald truth still amazed him. You, Walter, never left at all. Uh, the man in black tittered at your service. So that makes me think Walter and Martin are the same person. That's what I was thinking. It's, it's some shape shifting going on or something. I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. So, so the, the other thing I like about the next paragraph here is it's totally things we were talking about as we were reading the Gunslinger. Um, <laughs> what else do we know? That, that the Gunslinger's world's not completely unlike our own. Artifacts such as gasoline pumps and certain songs, Hey Jude, for instance, or the bit of doggerel that begins Beans, Beans, the musical fruit, have survived. So of customs and rituals oddly like those from our own romanticized view of the American West. So it was like, oh my god, that's who we were talking about the whole time. Like, why is Hey Jude playing? Beans, Beans, music, Eat at Joe's, you know, like all these little things are like, exactly. Hmm. And it was just him planting a seed in our mind of like, yeah, that's what I was going for. <laughs> you got <Exactly>. it. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like in the argument, Stephen King is like, okay, here are all of the breadcrumbs that I left that you should have picked up. So I'm just going to lay it all down right in front of you. So, yes, there's a gasoline pump. There's a hey, Jude. These are all things that shouldn't belong in Roland's world, but they do. So, uh, yeah, and also the, what is it, customs and rituals from our romanticized view of the American West. That feels like the whole cowboy mythos that uh, the gunslinger kind of falls into. Well, that's what we started with that we thought, I was like, oh, is this book about, it's like a Western? Cool. Like, I guess he's a a gunslinger coming to town. But then we're like, oh no, it's much more. It's like, I wonder if that's how Stephen King was writing it. Like, I'm going to write a Western or I can start with this Western motifs and then uh, go into something far, far greater. So I love it. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah, I feel... 
Yeah, in in the uh, the new uh, well, in the Kindle version, I should say. Uh, basically, the only change that I've seen thus far is that he writes another forward called uh, "On Being 19 Again," and kind of goes back into some more of his um, inspirations. Uh, basically kind of cementing the J.R.R. Tolkien uh, inspiration, but also say, describing the first time that he saw uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly in in the theater, and just seeing that gigantic, oh, cool. like, Panavision screen with enormous uh, Old West with uh, every piece of stubble coming out of Clint Eastwood's face looks like a, a redwood tree and all this uh, fanciful language. And... <laughs> basically saying that, you know, if you've seen it on a TV in your house, you're not seeing it the way it was meant to be seen. So, uh, mm-hmm. so basically it was just having <laughs> so, that, you know, image of seeing it on the big screen is kind of what made him want to set Roland's journey kind of in this, like, enormous apotheosis of all deserts, uh, you know, mm-hmm. um, idea, like, setting. So I was, um, the, it, because you mentioned that forward also um, in the beginning of last season, and this is an, another forward that I've intentionally sidestepped. <laughs> I was like, I feel like the person Good. reading this yes. forward has read the whole series already. So I was like, I don't want to know where we're going. Because I started reading the... Precisely. The, the, we've got some spoilers in the DVD menu. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Qui-Gon's Noble End. Oh, no. What did I miss? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you do the next uh, paragraph sure uh, so and there is an umbilicus which somehow connects our world to the world of the gunslinger at a way station on a long deserted coach road in a great and sterile desert Roland meets the boy named Jake who died in our world a boy who was in fact pushed by, from a street corner by the ubiquitous and iniquitous man in black <laughs> the last thing Jake who was on his way to school with his book bag in one hand and his lunchbox in the other remembers of his world our world is being crushed beneath the wheels of a Cadillac and dying uh-huh. so, so I, I, I had to look up two words establishing our poor, our poor friend Jake yeah, go ahead. yeah, poor, poor Jake. Um, ubiquitous and iniquitous. <laughs> uh, I, I, lo- I love the, <laughs> I love that. So ubiquitous basically means like ever present, always around, kind of thing. And iniquitous kind of means like evil, nefarious, sort of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I just think that that's a cool rhyming uh, duo he just did there. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> uh, but Jake, our boy Jake, uh, before reaching the Man in Black, Jake dies again. This time, because the gunslinger faced with the second most agonizing choice of his life, elects to sacrifice the symbolic son. Given a choice between the tower and the child, possibly between damnation and salvation, Roland chooses the tower. Go then, Jake tells him before plunging into the abyss. There are other worlds than these. Oh, gosh. That was like... It was like, no, why do you have to remind me of that? That was like the saddest part, Stephen. And I guess that's the whole point. It's like... Roland had to make a huge choice. You know? That is the point. (sighs) For Roland so loved the universe that he was willing to sacrifice his symbolic son. Oh, I got you. Oh, wow. Oh, so now we're going back to the biblical stuff. I got you. Uh, It also says, faced with the second most agonizing choice. What was the first most agonizing choice? Interesting. I didn't didn't, uh, catch that. Uh, The second most agonizing... Sorry. Agonizing. I can't pronounce words. (laughs) So I I think it's... uh, uh, What's her face? Um... The, the woman who got burned uh, whose name I should remember I think so yeah Delgado. I think it's Susan Delgado right Susan Delgado yes I, I remember that because there was a baseball player named Carlos Delgado and I was like oh okay so like Carlos Delgado but oh, yeah, Susan yeah I do remember that name actually nah, it's, sorry that's, that's how my the mnemonics in my mind work <laughs> Uh, but I think that was the first. Exactly. I think yeah. that was the first most ag- agonizing choice is losing her. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, 
I feel like I feel like it's more second most first most second most in terms of chronology, not in terms of severity, because I think it's it it, it might be just referring to the fact that you know the most agonizing choice. The well, the first. Hmm. Well, that I'll, I'll just stick with what I said. That I feel like it might be more re- related to the fact that you know his his first agonizing uh, choice was, I guess. Uh, well, we'll see when we get to that book. But, I uh, guess we will. Th- yeah, this is I, what I I'm guessing, Kevin. I'm guessing stuff. Yeah. You don't spoil stuff. <laughs> That's exactly. how we roll here. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, yes. F- so, finish it out, okay. There was another thing I was going to say a second ago. Oh. Yeah, the so. Da, 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 da. Um, yeah, I'm surprised you didn't mention the kiss song oh, playing yeah. <laughs> when Jake died. <laughs> True. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess Stephen King just wanted us to remember Hey Jude, but not necessarily. Um, what was the other one? Back in the New York Groove. Uh, uh, was that the uh, kiss song? Uh, was uh, that's what, I forget. That's what. No, that's what we were guessing it was. And then I was like, maybe it was Beth. Maybe it was probably uh, I'm on a rock and roll all night and party, party every day. <laughs> but uh, oh, I now I remember. Uh, I was going to say that uh, there was. There's also a. Uh, there's the religious angle of you know the God and uh, Jesus and all that stuff and that kind of sacrifice. But then there's also the sci-fi angle of going back to the Wrath of Khan, where uh, uh, Spock chooses to sacrifice himself rather in order to save the rest of the ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, where the needs of yeah. the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. Yeah, this is a trope that's used in a lot of things, you know. Sacrifice myself very, to very save everyone, that. you know. Um, but so. The movie and, Dave uh, Powers U five seven one. Precisely. Doesn't there, there's one character who just is like, I have to close this off and die so that the rest of you don't die, you know, like. Um, or in Lost, when uh, Charlie is like, not Penny's boat and stuff. Uh, he's like sacrificing. Anyway, there's it, this is all over the place. Yeah. In, in I think fiction. I don't know if he I don't know if he intentionally sacrificed himself at that point. I think I think he might have just gotten stuck in a room that they couldn't get them get themselves out of, and so he chose to make his death kind of worth it and just give yeah. him give Desmond the message that he needed. At that point, so, uh, Lost ex- such a accepting promise, your feats. Yeah, Lost could have been a good show. Accepting yeah. one's anyway. fate, exactly. It's an important point. Yeah. Uh, so at some point, indeed. you have J. to J. say to yourself... is much well, better at setting up things than he is about finishing them. <laughs> yes, you're very right about that. But that's for another podcast and another indeed. day. The Star Wars sequel trilogy <laughs> is another example of that thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so the, the final comp... The final confrontation between Roland and Walter occurs in a dusty Golgotha of decaying bones. The Dark Man tells Roland's future with a deck of tarot cards. These cards showing a man called the Prisoner, a woman called the Lady of Shadows, and a darker shape that is simply death. But not for you, Gunslinger, the Man in Black tells him, are prophecies which become the subject of this volume, and Roland's second step in the long and difficult path to the Dark Tower. Ugh. <clears throat> anyway, the gunslinger ends with Roland sitting upon the beach of the Western Sea, watching the sunset. The man in black is dead. The gunslinger's own future, own future course unclear. The drawing of the three begins on that same beach, less than seven hours later. It's... Oh, I love it! Uh, so, like, we're picking up right where we left off. Pretty much. It's like... Exactly. Meanwhile, yeah. last time on the Dark Tower, you know, like that's <laughs> the argument is. <laughs> exactly. And, it, <laughs> and it, well, it makes me feel like, and, and sorry to make another <clears throat> Star Wars thing, but like it's like the crawl in the beginning. It's like, let's get you caught up. Or um, another way to say it is uh, sort of a prologue or something, you know? Lord of the Rings. And you're like, oh, this happened. And just so you know, and now we're going to pick up the story. Ugh. I love it. Yeah, for in Back to the Future movies, it's the one scene that uh, is the overlap in you know the beginning of Back to the Future two and three. Mm-hmm. I bet there's like a fancy name for it in. Uh, I don't know if prologue is the right word or um, forward. No, it wouldn't be a forward. Yeah, forward, I guess. 
Forward. Because we're, Forward. we're getting into a lot of words that are essentially similar, the synonyms here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But anyway, that's the but point. Yeah. Is uh, Meanwhile, let's get back to our friend Roland. Meanwhile. Sitting on the beach. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, Kev. I'm, I'm like so, so excited yeah, to start I'll another start book with you. First paragraph, <laughs> Go for it. I know. This, I know. Me too. This is yeah, now the prologue. We're, we're getting into the it. first one was the uh, argument. That's right. This is prologue. Correct. Yeah, exactly. So, the gunslinger came awake from a confused dream, which seemed to consist of a single image, that of the sailor in the tarot deck, from which the man in black had dealt, or purported to deal, the gunslinger's own moaning future. He drowns, Gunslinger, the Man of Black was saying, and no one throws out the line. The boy, Jake. But this was no nightmare. It was a good dream. It was good because he was the one drowning. And that meant that he was not Roland at all, but Jake. And he found this a relief because it would be far better to drown as Jake than to live as himself. A man who had, for a cold dream, betrayed a child who trusted him. Oh, right away, like, so, yeah, the, you could see his and feel his regret. You know, he's like, what have I done? What am I doing? Now? And like, exactly. I left this poor boy who yeah. trusted me. And uh, for what? Well, he, he quickly and he doesn't even seem to have the luxury of he doesn't he doesn't even seem to have the luxury of regret because he it it seems like he wouldn't have done it any other way but he still feels terrible about it and he wishes there were any other choice that he could have made so it's more remorse than regret I would say mm. Mm, okay you're right so, yeah. Again, we're talking about synonyms, but I don't know, what's the difference between remorse and synonyms, regret? Synonyms, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So he, he feels bad. I feel like... So, he feels bad. He does. Uh, remorse means you're, oh, you're, no, you're sorry that something happened, and regret... So I would say regret means that um, like you wish you had changed something, and remorse is like... I had to do this. I feel bad about it, but I, I wouldn't change it. I don't know. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, when I, looking up the definitions, they appear to be the same, like literal synonyms. So, remorse even also means that uh, you would you would change it. Uh, if you had... Oh, no, wait. Hang on. No, I, I was right. I was right. Uh, according to Soberish.com, uh, the uh, <laughs> mental health and psychology, uh, put simply, regret is like wishing you had made a different choice and could take something back. Remorse, on the other hand, is feeling truly sorry for hurting someone with your actions. Regret is about your decisions. Remorse is about the impact on others and owning their partner. So, yeah, it's exactly what I thought. Yeah, that's what I was kind of saying too. Oh, well, hmm. he knew that, like this—that was the choice he had to make. But in any case, you know? Roland very remorseful. Yes. <sighs> Good. All right, I'll drown. He thought, so, listening yes. to the roar of the sea. Let let me drown. But this was not the sound of the o- open deeps. It was the grating sound of water with a throat full of stones. Was he the sailor? If so, why was land so close? And in fact, was he not on the land? It felt as if... And now a lot of things happened. Freezing cold water doused his boots and ran up his legs to his crotch. Exactly. His eyes flew open then. And what happened? <laughs> and, and sorry. His eyes flew open then. And what snapped him out of the dream wasn't his freezing balls, which had suddenly shrunk to what he felt like the size of walnuts, nor even the horror to his right. But the thought of his guns, his guns, and even more important, his shells. What guns could be quickly disassembled, wiped dry, oiled, wiped dry again, oiled again, and reassembled? Wet shells, like wet matches, might or might not ever be usable again. So, oh my gosh, all he could think about was his guns. But we also get a glimpse of the horror exactly. to his right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, the clearly Roland's uh, priorities are always guns first and uh, everything else figure, is secondary. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't care about my balls. I don't care about this so, awful so, thing that we're about to meet. <laughs> it's my gun. This horrifying monster. Yeah. 
So that's a quick uh, little bit of uh, King Shadowing. So the next paragraph starts off, The horror was a crawling thing, which must have been cast up by a previous wave. It dragged a wet, gleaming body laboriously along the sand. It was about four feet long and about four yards to the rest. It regarded Roland with bleak eyes on stalks. Its long, serrated beak dropped open and began to make a noise that was weirdly like human speech, plaintive, even desperate questions in an alien tongue. Did a chick? Did a chump? Did a chump? Did a chick? <laughs> I, I was wondering how you would do that uh, voice of this bizarre lobster. <laughs> four feet long. Do you know how long four feet is? True. It's and four feet, but it's it's four really freaking big. Long. Forty-eight inches. Four feet is huge. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. This is about like the height of like I would say like a. Basically, it's Jake tall, more or less. Like, I, I'm imagining, like, an 11-year-old boy okay. being more or less four feet tall. Oh. Is it the, the ghost of Jake coming back to get him? Nah. <laughs> Could be. Or, uh, we don't see... Let's see, he says four feet long, but we don't know how, like, wide or uh, what its general mass appears to be, other than... Yeah. Well, Basically, I think later uh, on he gets into the, the yeah. width of it, but <laughs> true. Yeah. Um, as far but as it was only voice, four like, yards I, to I the right came, of him, uh, yeah, that's distance so was, away, yeah. But yeah, as far was, as the voice, close. like, yeah. uh, I, I yeah, yeah, I just gave uh, my cats a, a can of cat food to uh, because they were getting a little bit, uh, you know, um. <laughs> They were very, very insistent on my attention, let's say. And Luna was, like, walking up in my face and, like, rubbing, like, trying to get a lot more of my attention. So I was like, all right, I'll give you a can just to, you know, uh, keep you in the other room, essentially, as I'm trying to record here. And whenever <laughs> I, uh, like, have cat food for her, it's always like... Arr, arr, arr. And it's it's very plaintive <laughs> cries, so that's that's what I decided that uh, these lobsters kind of sound like in their slightly inhuman, plaintive, I'm even hungry. desperate questions. <laughs> please, please, a little bit. <laughs> uh, well, this is also uh, probably inspired by um, Stephen King's. Is from Maine. And lobsters are very common Correct. on on the beaches of Maine. So <laughs> the gunslinger had seen lobsters. This wasn't one, although lobsters were the only things he had ever seen which this creature even vaguely resembled. It didn't seem afraid of him at all. The gunslinger didn't know if it was dangerous or not. He didn't care about his own mental confusion, his temporary inability to remember where he was or how he'd gotten there, if he had actually caught the man in black, or if all that had only been a dream. He only knew he had to get away from the water before it could drown his shells. So, again, more worried about the shells than the lobster, so... <laughs> and he's just confused. Like, what just happened? Did he, like, tr- travel to another world that Jake was talking about? Uh, how did he get there? Yeah, that's... I feel like... Was he, like, washed away to sea and then washed back? Yeah, I feel like this is very indicative of, like, all... Anytime when I get, like, woken up, like, abruptly and there's a lot of things going on, my first thought is always, like, where am I? What's going on? So I feel like this is pretty normal confusion. I mean, also the fact that he fell asleep uh, right after having achieved step one of his huge goal kind of uh, adds to his confusion and being like, did that really happen? Was that a dream? What's what's going on? So, yeah, I feel I, I, I can understand Roland's uh, confusion here. Yeah, uh, I completely understand. I I, <laughs> I remember this one time um, I was at a friend's house and um, uh, it, it was some of my friends from college, but I brought some of my friends from Rutherford from high school down there and you know we had a good night and whatever and I ended up sleeping on the floor <laughs> so my two friends from Rutherford like waking me up and like yeah we want to get going and I, I woke up and I was like where am I where are my shoes like those are the <laughs> immediate things that I had where am I where are my shoes <laughs> it reminds me of the Doctor Who episode <laughs> anyway shoes uh, uh, Silly story. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so uh, 
Okay, so we probably shouldn't read every single paragraph, right? Very true. Or, I don't know. <laughs> I think there's like copyright laws and whatnot. <laughs> True. We don't want to basically do our own annotated commentary here. But in any case, we'll we'll uh, <laughs> sum up the big parts. But essentially, Roland is he's reacting in real time as he's, you know, he's instantly woken up. He knows that his guns and his shells are getting wet as the, the tide is coming in. He's this giant horror that's four yards to his left. He's trying to analyze um, basically... Uh, Oh, at one point, it stopped and was holding up his claws, with which uh, it had been pulling itself along, looking absurdly like a boxer, assuming its opening his opening stance, which Court had called uh, taught them was called the honor stance. So uh, mm-hmm. here's the wave, yada yada. Um, so kind of Roland is he's analyzing that makes me think of, like the old time boxers putting up their, yeah. their fists, you know, and, or like you know, like yeah, exactly. put them up, like put up the fighting dukes. Irish, yeah. yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Exactly. Notre Dame. So he's just trying to claw his way off of the uh, off of the shore. Yeah. And he's he's working his way back, and uh, this lobster is coming at at him. Oh, I'm still dreaming. Perhaps the first one didn't go as far as I thought. Perhaps, you know. Um, <clears throat> There was a half moon in the sky. A call of mist covered it, but it shed enough light for him to see that the holsters were too dark. The guns, at least, had suffered a wetting. It was impossible to tell how bad it had been, or if either the shells currently in the cylinders or those in the cross gun belts had also been wetted. Before checking, he had to get away from the water. Had to. So he has four guns on him? He has two in the holsters, and then... Two. Yeah, his guns are in his holsters. Yeah, his guns are in his holsters, low on his hips, and his uh, like the um, the shells oh, yeah, are sort oh, of like wrapped around and the gun belts around his waist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I understand, like a uh, bandolier sort of. Or yeah, yeah. So so he's worried about the shells, the shells that are in the two guns, yeah. and the shells that are ready to be loaded. I gotcha. Precisely. He had to get away from the war. Had to. Dada Chuck? (laughs) Oh, this lobster is incessant. He just keeps coming at him. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just, we have to read the most important part. Um, So basically, the lobster's coming at him. As as the. Yeah, the lobsters move forward after each wave passes. So as the wave comes mm-hmm. forward, they put their put their dukes up, and then they wait. And then as the wave recedes, they move forward at uh, you know faster and faster each time. So, yeah, honor stance again. Okay, I'm going to jump to this paragraph. This wave was bigger. Roland began to drag himself up the slope of the strand again, and when he put out his hands, the clawed creature moved the speed of which of which its previous movements had not even hinted. The gunslinger felt a bright flare of pain in his right hand, but there was no time to think about that now. He pushed with the heels of his soggy boots, clawed with his hands, and managed to get away from the wave. So right there, Kev, he lost his fingers. Did Chick? The monstrosity inquired in its plaintive, Won't you help me? Can't you see? I am desperate voice. And Roland saw the stumps of the first and second fingers of his right hand disappearing into the creature's jagged beak. It lunged again, and Roland lifted his chirping right hand just in time to save his remaining two fingers. Oh, Kev! I started reading this a couple months ago, waiting for us to, like, record again. And I was like, oh my god. Right away, there's, like, immediate repercussions and, and like, ugh. Instantly. Losing a part of yourself, yeah, is is really tough. Roland just lost his freaking fingers. Lost his hands. The man's biggest uh, skill and what he thought, you know, his purpose in life was just to be the guy who shoots guns. And now he is, uh, he, he handicapped. I mean, uh. I don't to put to, you know, not to, uh, uh, what do you call to put a, you know, an out, uh, uh, old fashioned phrase mm-hmm. to it. But, uh, yeah, his hand has been capped. 
Yeah, well, that's how it works. Well, I think that phrase handicap meant like, and that's why that we don't use it anymore. It's True, like cap in hands. Holding a cap in their hands, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's why it's outdated. Um, but his hand has literally been uh, lost the middle and the, the index finger on his right hand, so those are what's really important for aiming and f- pulling a trigger. You can still do hang um, loose, though. He's still got thumping. <laughs> <laughs> and and the ring, so... <laughs> True, still got his ring finger as well. But, uh, yeah, he lost arguably two of the most uh, important fingers of your of your hand. There's a fun mnemonic device for the uh, different types of salmon here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, uh, chum is your thumb. Uh, what was it? Uh, sockeye is your index finger because it points to your eye. Um, middle finger is the tall one, so it's the king salmon. Um, the the ring finger is, is where you would wear something silver, so that's the silver salmon. Oh. And then uh, the p- pinky is it's called the pink salmon. Oh. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, so he he lost uh, his sockeye and king, unfortunately. Indeed, <laughs> two of the best of the salmons. Yeah, my favorites. <laughs> um. So not only did he lose two f- fingers, but he took a chunk of meat from his lower calf. He ends up getting his toe also yep. at one point. His, his great toe, as yep. they, they call it. Um, ooh. No, bastard! Roland snarled and kicked it. It was like kicking a block of rock. One that bit. It tore away the end of Roland's right boot. Tore away most of his great toe. Tore the boot actually, itself from his foot. Before that part, that actually, skips? is one of the, like, the thing tore open his dripping jeans and yada yada, took a chunk out of his th- calf. He drew with his right hand and realized two of the fingers needed to perform this ancient killing operation were gone when the revolver only thumped to the sand. So he, like, he drew and then the revolver just fell to the ground. Uh, so, and that's oh. what the, that's what the uh, monstrosity is running towards, trying to get at his guns. So that's why Rowan kicked it. So yeah, oh, he is uh, just realizing what the heck's going on. This is a lot of action. Oh yeah. Um, well, well, it's a short amount of time, but a lot of description about what happens in that short amount exactly. of time. Exactly, everything's happening in bullet time right now. Hmm. Um. <sighs> yeah. Basically. So, <sighs> go ahead. You go. Yeah. So. Let's see. Roland drew with his left hand and pulled the trigger three times. Click, click, click. Now he knew about the shelves in the chamber, at least. He holstered the left gun. To, sh- to holster the right, he had to turn the barrel downward with his left hand and then let it drop into place. Blood slimed the worn handle- iron hand... Blah. Blood slimed the worn ironwood hand grips. The blood spa- spotted the holster and the old jeans to which the holster was thong-tied. It poured from the stumps where his fingers used to be. His mangled right foot was still too numb to hurt, but his right hand was a bellowing fire. The ghosts of talented and long-trained fingers, which were already decomposing in the digestive juices of this thing's guts, screamed that they were still there, that they were burning. I see problems, Ed, the gunslinger thought remotely. So <laughs> <laughs> that, that was exactly what I thought as I was yeah. reading this. I was like, oh, I see some problems ahead. He's going to have a hard time shooting. Uh, I want to go back real quick, uh, up a couple uh, paragraphs, where he calls it the lobstrosity. Lobstrosity. Stops working on the boot. (laughs) Oh, that's a that's a made up word that I love now. (laughs) True, I think that's the first time he refers to it as a lobstrosity. So that's just a fun little portmanteau, uh, lobster and monstrosity. And then, yeah, that's going to become one of the. Uh, hallmark creatures in the the Roland verse uh, of just oh really okay well just of ones that people think of when they think of the Dark Tower I should say uh, the lobstrosity yeah rock lobster <laughs> well he said it was like lobster. a rock exactly <laughs> but yeah Roland's on the beach. Fingers aren't on his hand. That's a, what's up ahead? Fingers it's a rock, rock lobster. Digesting <laughs> <laughs> in his guts. Hands aren't firing. 
Did a charm. Done a chuck. It's totally. Anyway. Nice. Sorry, I, we shouldn't be laughing about poor Roland losing his fingers, but uh, exactly. B-52s. But it, this feels like almost sort of like Car- Roland's karmic retribution for having let Jake go. Like, okay, you can still go on your journey, but you're going to be losing something. Like, not a, so yeah, you this, sacrifice this be Jake. be a price to pay. Exactly. You sacrifice Jake, now you have to sacrifice something about yourself, too. Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh, so I was actually looking up um, golf handicapping before we started this. So basically, it almost seems like the inverse of what's happening here. So uh, a handicap in golf basically means that trying to level the playing field for all the players involved so that uh, a player who is much better has a zero handicap, whereas a player that they're playing with might get like additional points added to each round uh, so that uh, they have a fighting chance. So this almost yeah. feels to me as though Roland is getting a little bit handicapped before uh, they they start this. Uh, uh, he starts, uh, what do you call it? Meeting the prisoner, the Lady of Shadows and Death. Uh, so, uh, maybe to give them a little bit more of, uh, a, a chance against him, maybe one way or another. Oh, oh, all right. No, that makes That's sense. my theory. Uh, same, thing in, yeah. same thing in bowling too, you know, it's like Precisely, the better bowler yeah. gets more pins and stuff. Yeah. Ah, oh, so now it's being, well, he can still shoot with his left hand. Okay. So we get a little bit more of a description here a little later on. Uh, it was almost upon him, a thing four feet long and a foot high, a creature which might weigh as much as 70 pounds and was as single-mindedly oh carnivorous as David the Hawk he had had as a boy, but without David's dim vestige of loyalty. So, <laughs> so that's basically the size of my dog. Yeah. Gary, uh, Gary weighs about 70, 75 pounds. Uh, he's not four feet long. No. Eh, he's about a foot and a half high. So... Mm. It's, it's a big, it's a pit bull coming at you, sort of. So <laughs> longer. A thick and body a pit bull, in fact, yeah. With this, <laughs> yeah. like, with this uh, exoskeleton that seems to be as hard as rock. Mm-hmm. So Roland's skittering back. It seems like he, he's tried to stand up, but he hasn't quite been able to. Um, yeah, he steps backwards over a rock. Uh Yada yada. His head was inches from the insectile face of the creature. One of its claws mm. might have easily slashed his, the eyes from his face, but its trembling claws, so like clenched fists, remained raised to either side of its parrot-like beak. So Roland, even in the midst of all of his fear, he's like, okay, when the waves come in, the thing raises its arms and just sort of freezes there. So I've got that period of time to kind of move away. So yep, he's he's thinking strategy as always. You know? Exactly. Roland picks up a rock. <laughs> uh, he reached for the stone over which he had nearly fallen. It was large, half buried in the sand, and his mutilated right hand howled as bits of dirt and sharp edges of pebble ground into the open, bleeding flesh. But he yanked the rock free and raised it. His lips pulled away from his teeth. Dada, the monstrosity began, its claws lowering and opening as the wave broke and the sound receded, and the gunslinger swept the rock down upon it with all of his strength. There was a crunching noise as the creature's segmented back broke. It lashed wildly beneath the rock. Um, its rear half lifting and thudding, lifting and thudding. Its interrogatives began... Uh, buzzing exclamations of pain. Its claws opens and shut upon nothing. And yet, as another mm. wave broke, it tried to raise its claws again. And when the gunslinger uh. stepped on his head with his re- remaining boot, uh, so yada yada keeps going. Uh, Roland stamps on it again and again and again. Uh, it was dead, but it meant to have its way all the same. Uh, he kept on. <laughs> I'm until... keep stepping on this. <laughs> exactly. He kept on until he saw the tip of one of his own fingers in the thing's sour mash. Saw the white dust beneath the nail from the Golgotha where he and the man in black had held their long palaver. And then he looked aside and vomited. So ugh, I and feel like vomited. yeah, that's about the point where you would kind of stop your rage-filled smash when you see your own fingers and ugh, yeah. remembering the night before. My God. Ugh. The night before, or was it ten years ago? I, True. Who knows? That's what I got confused about. Time works differently here. Yeah, time works differently. So, uh, one thing I wanted to quickly go back to um, was was these interrogatives that the um, 
Lobster keeps saying, did a chuck, dad a chum, dum a dee. Like, it's all uh, A-E-I-O-U sounds. Like, the lobster's, like, trying to speak, but his last one is dada. Like, do you think the dad in there is important? Because interesting. uh, Roland is, like, uh, I'm seeing, like, a fatherly thing from him, and, of course, Jake, you know? Um, that is so, true. I, I never that, noticed that. Yeah, I, I might it be is. looking into that too too much. But it was he kept saying like, dude, like he was trying to get the words out. It's like dad, dad, father. I don't know. <laughs> I see. I don't think that the lobstrosities are literally Jake, but I do kind of feel like as going back to what I said before about this is his karmic retribution for letting Jake fall, that he's lost uh, two of the most important uh, fingers that he's got for, you know, firing a gun that I feel almost like if we go by the, the idea that there are no accidents in storytelling that I feel like this data, this feels like almost Roland is thinking about Jake in this moment that like, oh, of course, this would happen to me. This is this is my payback for letting Jake fall to his death that I I lose my uh, fingers and one of my toes and I get a gash taken out of his one of his thighs. Um, when it almost uh, as we were talking about this and going back to the whole Jesus uh, references and everything. Uh, it reminded mm-hmm. me of stigmata a little bit of you know oh, the, okay. yeah the the holes in his hands and one in his one in his side and the holes in each of his feet so in this case he's got two holes in one hand he's got a hole in his thigh which is basically uh, akin to the the hole in Jesus' side and then he's got a yeah, hole yeah. in one of his feet so it almost seems stigmata-esque in in my mind interesting i yeah. did not get that reference in my head but now that you're saying it i was like yeah that works yeah i could see that oh my goodness if we're i mean we're we're, we're stretching for things i feel like it might be a little bit of a, yeah. a reference yeah <laughs> why not um what was i just gonna say so yeah stigmata is a real thing right that happened to like saints like uh, it's, it's would, one uh, of the signs yeah yeah they're like oh this is a saint because they all of a sudden get blood on their uh palms and feet or whatever yeah according to this saint francis of assisi uh saint catherine uh apparently uh, a high percentage over 80 percent of all stigmatics are women uh oh yeah so let's see stigmatics okay <laughs> <laughs> i just it's, never thought of that uh as adjective. an adjective yeah <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Be a noun i guess yeah Stig- uh, no that would be a noun yeah yeah but just uh let's see it's interesting, yeah. St. Francis of Assisi, St. Padre Pio, uh, that was one of Mom's favorites. Uh, yeah, and that was, like, recent, like, in the 20th century, right? Yeah. And this uh, person just... Yeah, the the surgeon uh, Giorgio Festa, a private practitioner, examined the stigmata on Padre Pio in 1920 and 1925. Uh, and, yeah, and so... Scientifically, you said, like, no, this is happening. This person has blood coming out of their palms. Wow, that's wild. Apparently, they were both religious and non-religious critics who accused Padre Pio of faking his stigmata, saying he used carbolic acid Mm. to make the wounds. Uh, Hmm. According to one document in the Vatican's archives, he had requested carbolic acid to sterilize syringes used for vaccination. Yada yada... Uh, somebody else is saying that they were caused by neur- neurotic necrosis, uh, inflicted unconsciously by suggestion. Uh, hmm. So, it, like, if you believe something to be true, it becomes true. I don't know. Yeah, oh. sort of like the, the 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 an extreme form of the um, placebo effect, kind of. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Well, that's then, all interesting. I don't, I don't even know if that's what Stephen King was meant to <laughs> us to think here, but could uh, be. But hey, why not? We're looking, we're looking for symbolisms and uh, symbols and, and things. <laughs> but uh, it's what brought my mind to, after we were talking about all the the Jesus imagery and whatnot. Um, but also, apparently, throughout his life, he had hidden his wounds by wearing fingerless gloves, and at death, there were no wounds, only unblemished skin for Padre Pio. Uh, hmm. Oh, there well, was, was he a good person? He was, uh, no. Apparently. Sure, he did good things, yeah. Mom wouldn't like him if he wasn't, like, a good guy. 
Uh, <laughs> let's see. Joined uh, Capuchins in 15, religious life in a convent, marked by stigmata, despite separate sanctions imposed by the Vatican. His reputation kept increasing during his life and uh, attracted many followers to San Giovanni Rotondo, the founder of uh, a hospital built near the convent and yada yada after his death uh his devotion continued to spread among believers of the world um canonized in 2002 by pope john paul ii 2002 so, yeah. wow yeah seems so, like yeah, a th- good person this is a, th- a thing a thing yeah. yeah pretty cool padre pio uh italy i'm assuming right uh, yes, he was born yeah. in the province of Benevento, um, died San Giovanni Rotondo, province of Foggia Apulia. Probably pronouncing those wrong, but yeah, he died in 1968. So there you go. Yeah. So it's not like this is some Middle Ages kind of thing, like, oh, the, this happened and a doctor, like, examined him. So, huh. Indeed. Very interesting. Apparently, the Although, most recent, there, there are skeptics. There are a lot of skeptics. <laughs> Apparently, the most recent, uh, the first saint from India with stigmata was nun Mariam Thresia uh, Chiramel. She was canonized uh, October 13th, 2019 by Pope Francis. Oh, apparently she died in 1926. So Padre Pio would have been more recent than that. But anyway. Yeah, I guess so. Hmm. Fascinating. Never really looked much it, into it, it, stigmata. Yeah, stigmatics. Skeptic mm. of the stigmatics, but, uh, you know. <laughs> um, okie doke. Uh, so let's move on here. Uh, do, do, do. Oh, yeah, and this is a word I had to look up. In the moon's glabrous light, he saw other creatures of the same type, and in the sasura between one wave and the next, heard their questioning voices. The gunslinger retreated a step at a time, retreated until he reached the grassy edge of the shingle. There he sat down and did all he knew to do. He sprinkled the stumps of fingers and toe with the last of his tobaccos to stop the bleeding. Sprinkled it thick in spite of the new stinging. His missing great toe had joined the chorus. And then he only sat, sweating in the chill, wondering about infection, wondering how he would make his way in this world with two fingers on his right hand gone. When it came to the guns, both hands had been equal, but in all other things, his right had ruled. Wondering if the thing had some poison in its bite, which might already be working its way into him. Wondering if morning would ever come. Ugh. So, any, uh, last of his tobacco. So, right. <laughs> that's this one thing to know there, to too. End, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he had just gotten a new one from the man in black, but oh, again, right. that was yeah. potentially ten years ago. <laughs> so, this would be very um, dry tobacco, at the very least. Yeah, well, it would be good for stopping the bleeding, staunching sure. the bleeding. <laughs> True. Is this um, an actual, like, survival technique of, like, uh, sprinkling tobacco onto a wound? Well, you can just, like, put anything that'll just, like, dry it. It's probably not the most uh, sanitary way to do it, but he's used what he's got. Yeah. If you don't have ban- you don't have bandages or anything, I don't know, maybe rip some of your shirt. True. But... Uh, yeah. So the two words I had to look up there in that one paragraph were glabrous and cisura. True. Glabrous, uh, I did not know either. I think it's naked, like uh, no hair, like smooth or something. That, that's yeah. what I found. In in this context, I feel like it would be just sort of like a very clean, bright light without any uh, shadows from uh, clouds or mist or anything. Yeah, and I'm probably pronouncing these two words wrong, but uh, and it's the sort of just from context, I guess. It's just the the between times, like a wave breaks, and then there's like a a moment of no waves, and then the wave's gonna break again. Exactly. Um, but there's more of these lobstrosities coming in, mm. coming at him. So get the heck off the beach, Roland. Get off the beach, man. <laughs> Yeah, and this is the time. Uh, uh, yeah, so many thoughts are going through his head. Yeah. True, yeah, until he reached the grassy edge. Uh, so basically at this point, he's fully off the beach and just sort of like sitting there sweating. He's got, he's trying to staunch the blood with just whatever he happens to have. Um, and yeah, he's just sitting there already wounded and he is in rough shape at the beginning of this book. 
Mm-hmm. Right away, our, our boy, and that's just the prologue. It's like just the he prologue. lost his fingers, lost, we haven't even started lost the, his tobacco. Yeah, feels terrible about Jake. Like, oh, he's in a, a down place right now. Precisely. How is he, he going to make it through? Yeah, he is physically and emotionally wounded. He is uh, doubting. I mean, I don't know if he's doubting his journey so much as he's just maybe. Because, yeah, he, I don't even know if he, yeah, he de- he doesn't seem like he regrets what he's done, but he is remorseful and he feels bad that he, in his mind, at least feels like he had to do this. So, yeah, the definitely Roland is, yeah, Roland is, uh, yeah, starting on a much worse off in this book than he started in the previous one. So I think I think uh, a good uh, title to this episode would be I See Serious Problems Ahead. I See Serious Problems <laughs> Ahead, that is for sure. <laughs> so that's, that's, When I read that, I'm like, ooh, <laughs> that's a good yeah, one. <laughs> exactly. With that, does that seem like uh, as good a time as any to uh, end this episode? I'd say so. I think we're, we're pretty good. I think our episodes are going to be shorter now. That's for with, sure. We don't have the, the, all the, the granular grammar, grammar analysis anymore or the yeah, comparison yeah. between the various things that have changed. Mm-hmm. But, like we're um, still going to dig deep and um, we're, we're going to, you know, we'll, we'll go slowly-ish, but I think we're talking more about plots at this point, you precisely. know, rather than um, the, the writing method. Exactly. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure we'll talk about the writing method as well. <laughs> Indeed. So let's see. Where should we read up to in the next chapter? Uh, uh, let's say one, two, and three. One, two, and three. Sounds good. Yeah. I can't wait to. I can't wait to read. I know. I'm so excited. <laughs> back in the saddle. Hooray! We're back. Yeah, back in the saddle. The gunslinger. Mm. Um. All right, well, until then, uh, you can check us out on our Facebook page, um, chapterbrothers.com, and, uh, you know, we're on Spotify and Apple Music and wherever else you find your podcasts and stuff. Um, But until then, Kevin, long days and pleasant nights. And may you have twice the number. I love you, brother. (laughs) Love you, too.